I don't know how many of you saw the uh, the article that was done in the Orange County Register uh, last week. Anybody see that? Yeah, nine people read the paper. Great. It's online too, by the way. But it's interesting uh, how what you say gets kind of exaggerated, changed, and modified. Uh, but that's okay. We're just glad for the free press. But one of the things they said, well, like, what makes influence different? And I'm trying to think about different things, and I'm kind of going through a list. And I go, well, an offering, we don't do like a traditional kind of a hymn for your offering. We do like a jam like B.B. King. And so the paper wrote something to the effect, uh, uh, yeah, they don't do that old stuff with uh, Amazing Grace. They just do B.B. King for the offering. And I thought, somebody's going to read that and just not even have a clue what goes on here, right? But, uh, but we're really glad for that, uh, that coverage. And I got, as I told you before, we got to spend some time uh, with a reporter and prayed with her, and, and uh, she'll be here for our, uh, for our grand opening, so we're excited about that. The other thing that's exciting is that this Christmas tree lighting thing is a big deal, because of all the places the city could have a Christmas tree lighting for Anaheim Hills, they chose our church. And I mean, think about that. And, and I kind of thought it was a done deal. I didn't know it had to go formally before the city and get voted on. So the day of, I'm getting like little prayer requests from different people going, hey, really pray, you know, because this, is, this could be controversial, you know. It's kind of like, you know, we're going to do a Christmas story. We're going to do a tree lighting at a church, and we've got public officials going to be there and all that kind of stuff, and so we're all praying. And anyway, um, I'm just happy to report on the 19th it was approved unanimously by the city. Amen. And it really is kind of one of those amazing things how God just kind of takes and starts layering other blessings with it. One of the things that everybody's nervous about is, you know, how is this all going to work? All these people that are going to come there and you're going to invite a hundred people and four of them are going to show up. And, you know, I mean, you know, that's how it works, isn't it? You have to invite about a hundred because they'll look you right in the face and say, I'll be there and lie to you. So you've got to invite 100 to get four. Just use that as a model and you'll be fine. But we're trying to figure out, well, how do we move cars and all that? And we've got parking agreements with a couple of different places. So we have about 350 parking places that we know of, uh, which is really good. But um, so when the city approved the tree lighting, they also approved a parking variance for that night. At least this is what I thought. A parking variance so we can park on the street. Because in that area, there's no parking on the street. So I get the variance and I look at it and I realized how good God is. It's for the whole day. We can park there on Sunday morning. We have a parking variance that's good from midnight all the way until midnight the ne that next day. And so I thought, how thankful are we? We just picked up probably another 75 or 100 parking places just by the stroke of God's pen. I love that kind of stuff. Anyway, good stuff going on. I want to talk to you today about uh, excuses. Anybody ever had a good excuse for something? There are no good excuses. You might have a reason. There are no, say it with me, there are no good excuses. All right? Now, we try them all the time, right? We always got an excuse we're coming up with. Well, I couldn't do that, and I can't do this, and whatever. But, you know, Jesus is going to tell us this parable about Three people that came up with excuses, and really they were all lame. Bottom line, when somebody's giving you an excuse, just look them in the face and go, lame. <laughs> lame. Look at your neighbor now and just say, lame. lame. Got to practice this one because it's not, 
It's not PC to say lame to somebody in the face, but you just say lame. Okay, so here's, here's a couple of thoughts I had. Everyone, everyone seems to have an excuse. You ever notice that? It's like universal. Everybody, kids are born with an excuse. We had three kids. It was an excuse. We don't know how they happen. Excuse. Okay, here's the other one. Have you ever noticed that invitations tend to expire? How many of you get an invitation to go to a birthday party, a wedding, you know, something else, and then you realize that after the event? Anybody have those? I've got a stack of those. Seriously, I get all these things. I go, oh, this is going to be really good. I want to go to this. And then I go, where is that? And I say, Tam, where is that at? And I'll go find it, and I'll pull it out, and I'll read it, and I'll go, oh, no, it was last week. Or how about save the date, right? I've got friends that send me a save the date two years in advance. I don't even know where my keys are half the time, and they want me to save a date. So I put it in my iPhone. I'm really diligent about it. And then the week before, right? The week before, it beeps and says, oh, you have an event coming up. And I go, oh, I can't go to that. It's the week before. I don't have any time to plan for that. I've already made plans. I've got good stuff going on. Well, they tend to expire. Here's another thing. Someone is always ready to take your place. You know, when you have an excuse, when you don't do something, you ever notice that somehow somebody steps into that slot and just kind of takes your place and you go, well, I really wanted to go. Well, you didn't tell me you want. Well, I did tell you. Yeah, but you know, you didn't. And you got all this kind of stuff going on between people and you're trying to make sense of it. Well, let's see what Jesus did when he told this parable in Luke chapter 14. Let's pick up the story in verse 16, all right? Luke chapter 14 and verse 16, by the way, in the new building, we're going to have lights. You get to look at stuff. I know it's dark, and the only way you survive in here is really with an iPad or an iPhone, and please free, feel free to use your mobile device for the Bible and texting and other cool stuff you want to do during the sermon, all right? But here's what the Bible says. A certain man, whenever Jesus takes away the personal name, it typically indicates it's going to be a parable. So he says, a certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many. Now, already you're kind of reading into the story, and you're thinking, I wonder who the certain man is. If it's a parable, it's probably going to be talking about God or about Jesus, uh, the Son of God, and they're going to be the great man in the story, okay? So just remember that when you're reading. A parable without a, without a name probably indicates it is this earthly story with a heavenly message. So a great man invited many, and he sent his servant Servant could be Jesus. Servant could be, you know, one of the prophets. Servant could be you. So he sent him out. He said, okay, everything is all ready. I've got everything fixed. Everything is dialed in. We've got all the food. We've got all the stuff ready. We're going to have a party in the kingdom of God. And one thing I've noticed about God, he loves to throw parties. Now, that might shock you a little bit because you think God doesn't like it. He's always throwing a party. In fact, Right when he returns, guess what he's going to have? The first thing after the Battle of Armageddon, he has what's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, and it's a big party. He, Jesus gets the disciples together, 12 guys, we're going to have this last supper. It's kind of a party thing. He gets Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house, invite all your buddies over, we're going to have a party. Jesus said there's more people rejoice, there's more angels rejoicing in heaven over, over one person that comes to faith in Christ than over 99 that are already saved. God loves parties. So it says he had this supper. He says, now go out and tell them it's all ready. In fact, the food's getting cold. 
That's the urgency of the story here. The food's getting cold, and he says, come. Come for all things are now ready. They're now ready. That's not they will be ready. They're ready now. You know, the Bible is a Bible of urgency. God wants you to know there's an urgency about following God. He's not saying, oh, yeah, get around to it. He says, no, now, come, now. But they all, look at this. Everybody he invited, everybody on the A-list began to make excuses in one accord. They all had some reason they couldn't get there. The first said, oh, well, you know, I'd love to come, but I bought a piece of land, a piece of ground, and I got to go see it. Who buys land without seeing it first? You know what Jesus is saying now? In the Hebrew, what it says here, if you read it, this word for, um, I must go look and see it, the Hebrew word there is, are you ready to write this down? If you've got it, it's just a great Hebrew word, it's the word dumb. <laughs> Jesus, I, and you know what's going on in the back of your story, you're going, this guy is double dumb. He's going to go look at a piece of land after he bought it? I must go see it, and, and I ask, uh, can I be excused? Verse 19, the other said, well, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. That's like buying a car without driving it. You don't do that. I've got to go test them out and see, would you have me excused as well? Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. That's the only one that makes sense to me. So that servant came and reported these things back to his master. Now you can imagine, you got everything all dialed in, you got everything ready, the food's on the table, it's getting cold, you got the servants ready, everything is getting ready to happen, and all of a sudden he comes back and says, I got bad news for you, nobody's coming to your party. How'd you like to be the servant delivering that message? Nobody's coming. Then the master of the house being angry, mad. I remember one time we had some party back in New Jersey and we were going to have, and, and Tammy had gone to all these uh, elaborate kind of things for this Christmas thing, and it was going to be great, and, and all of a sudden people started, it was snowing, right? Snowing. By the way, somebody asked me earlier, you know, the flyer we had with the big snowflake on the front, and they said, does it snow here? I go, it does on my pamphlet. Take the pamphlet. That's, my, it, that's all the snow I want right there. Is that one flake on the front of that pamphlet. That's the only thing I want. So anyway, it starts to snow. People are starting to call and, and they're starting to cancel. And we think, oh, this is, this is not going to be good. And then it became, it was one of those parties where it becomes good when somebody cancels. Because what we had, now we had a brand new house. We built this house, but it was kind of out in the Lake District. So it was kind of in the country, right? And so we had a septic tank. Anybody know what a septic tank is? It's a bad idea. <laughs> you should not keep that stuff in your front or backyard. You should send it somewhere else. <laughs> so now all the kinks are worked out of this new house that we've been in just a short time, and all of a sudden, the toilets won't flush. I'm going, this is not good. Hopefully, more people will cancel. So, because we don't know who else coming. We had about 100 people coming. So I call up Bob, the septic tank guy. Hey, Bob, we got a problem. 
What's the problem? Well, the toilets aren't working, and we got a big party coming, and he goes, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Just tell him not to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I go, Bob, that's not a great answer. Okay, I'll come on over. Now, because our house had a well in the back, they put the septic tank in the front so all the guests can see Bob, the septic tank guy, out front working. <laughs> Bob's got the top off. It's like a manhole cover thing. He's got the and he's sitting on the snow with a big stick poking things down in there. I go, Bob, what are you doing? He goes, well, we're just checking it out. I said, Bob, this is not going to work. He said, I said, what are you, why do you do this? He goes, I don't really know. It's not going to work. I just thought it'd make you feel better by sitting out here with this big stick. And I go, Bob, what's the answer? What's the bottom line on the septic tank? He goes, it's not going to work. I said, okay, Bob, close it back up. Take the stick. Go home. When the guests get here, we'll just tell them. You can't go to the bathroom. Literally, that's what we did. You know, sometimes your greatest plans end up with a backed-up septic tank. They do. It's in those moments where you have to understand how to connect with God. Because what, what happens in the physical realm is always indicative of something that's happening in our spiritual realm. It points to a picture. Well, the master of the house being angry said to his servant, and look what he says now, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. In other words, his guest list was huge right now. Bring in the poor, bring in those who can't afford, bring in those who I overlooked on my first invite. Bring in those who are neglected by society, bring them in. He's telling that as a message to you and I. Don't just invite the people you know. Don't just get excited about people that are like you. You go out and you find people, anyone who will listen to the story, and you invite them in and you bring them in and you love them like Jesus would love them. You bring in the poor, and then you bring in the lame. You bring in those who have a difficult time maneuvering in life. Whether they're physically lame spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and you bring them in and you love them because this is the heart of the master. And then he says, and you bring in those who are maimed, those who by some intentionality of a cruel master have hurt them. There's a church up in Crystal, Minnesota called the Church of the Open Door. And this particular church is really interesting because it started by two pastors who just got burned out on all the bad church experiences that they had had. And they just became this church for people who had bad church experiences, and they wrote a book called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. And it really is an account of just people's stories, and this church became kind of this hub for people who had been hurt and been gone through difficult times, been burned by the church. Church grew very rapidly, obviously, because there were a lot of people that felt burned by the church. And I was talking to the pastor. That church at that time was about two or 3,000 people, and I, I said, this is pretty amazing. I said, like, what's, uh, what's the vibe in the community? He said, all the other churches hate us. They do. He said, they hate us. In fact, they call us the church of the open sore. I said, that's the greatest compliment you could ever get in your lifetime, that you're a place for the hurting a hospital for the sinner, 
I mean, we don't want to be a church that preserves precious piety and everybody's afraid to move and afraid to say that they got a problem. I don't know. Look at your friend right now and say, I'm a sinner. Let me try it again. Look at your friend right now and say, I'm a sinner. Say it like you mean it. Look at him in the eye right now. Look him in the eye. I am a sinner. You are. Sinners, welcome here. If you're not a sinner, you're dismissed to the popcorn stand. <laughs> Bring in the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, I did that already. I mean, we've, got, we've still got some room left. We brought in all those people you said. And then what he says, he says, I want you to go out on the highways and go out into the hedges and, and I want you to compel them to come in. That, you know what that word literally in the Greek, the, 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 the character of that word is literally grab them and drag them in. I had someone tell me in the Chinese Bible, and I don't read Chinese, but said that particular word in Chinese means to force them. You see, people don't always come to God the easy way. Sometimes we have to bring them to the reality of what it's really about. You really need this in your life. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. A couple observations from that particular section of Scripture. Here's the first one we've already talked about. God loves parties. This is the heart of God. He goes, wait, hey, I've got all this stuff going now. We've got to get this place filled. And we also learn that God is generous with the guest list. You know, sometimes there are parties that you, you don't have to only, you can only dress a certain way. You can only wear certain things like P. Diddy. You know, you can only wear white when you get invited to his parties. If you show up with anything but white on, you can't get in. He got that idea from God because in the future kingdom, it says everybody's going to wear white linen. Peter just didn't know it. Also, God has a lot of no-shows at his parties. Think about that. You'd think God throw a party, everybody would come. I want to go to the God party. Sounds good. But there's a lot of no-shows in God's party. You see, all the RSVPs had said yes, and, and I, they said, I believe in Jesus, and then in the last moment, they bailed out. Let me ask you a question. Have you said yes to Jesus, and then you bail out on your commitment? You see, following Jesus isn't just saying the, the prayer, the sinner's prayer in your heart, and then saying, I'll follow Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he goes, and then doing what you want to do, living how you want to live and acting how you want to act. Following Jesus is real stuff. He said, if any man be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and let him follow me. I've got a good friend I went to grad school with. His name is Malcolm Richard. Up here it would be Richard, but he's a Cajun from South Louisiana. So it's Richard. And uh, he, he posted this on Facebook. I thought it was so good. I want to live in a world where the Food Network delivers. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Got me thinking about this banquet message I was doing. And let me just start with this word. The invitation has been sent out to the entire world. Come to the banquet. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you've accepted that invitation. You are now on the RSVP list. And now as a guest in the kingdom, God wants you to operate and live your life out like that. 
Tell you a story, in uh, 1998, uh, I uh, applied to Oxford University for acceptance in some postgraduate studies. I really didn't think I would get accepted. It was just this long, arduous kind of experience to try to get accepted, and I had to find a graduate of Oxford who would vouch for me, and I went through all this stuff, and finally the acceptance day came. And so it was myself, my wife, and our daughter, who was 12 at the time, and, uh, and what we did was we, we had trouble getting housing over there, so we, we really made a big faith move. We, got, we had acceptance, and we didn't know where we were going to live. We all had one footlocker, one suitcase. We hopped on a plane. We flew to London. We got off there in London. We took a bus into Oxford. We had no place to live. I've got my wife and a 12-year-old, and all of us are saying, well, God's going to provide, and, and deep down, I'm doing the daddy thing like, this is the stupidest thing you've ever done. Got a hotel that night, went in, walked in, first place we walked in, they had exactly what we needed for exactly the right time frame, uh, the cost was exactly what we could afford, and it all worked out beautifully. But I want to show you, I want to take on a little journey because I want to bring you up to something. Because for me, the, when I got the acceptance, it was a pretty big deal. So I want to show you, first of all, a skyline of Oxford. It's a pretty amazing city, really. It, and this university started around 1000 AD. So it's been going for over 1,000 years. But when I, when I finished my, my term there, one of the things you get is an invitation to a banquet. And when you go, I was at Church, Christ Church College, and Christ Church College is the best of all the colleges at Oxford, in my opinion. We were having this debate, a couple of Oxford guys, one went to Kellogg, another guy went to Manchester, and we were kind of kicking this around on, the, on, the, on Facebook last night. But um, it got me fired up, you know, and I went and I looked for my little, my little student ID card, and I looked at there, and I go, it's amazing. In all those years, I haven't changed one bit. <laughs> if you ever look at your pictures like that, that's the blessing of getting worse eyesight as you get older. <laughs> but we got the invitation. I didn't really know what it meant, but it was a formal affair. It said you have to dress for this. And so Tammy and I went, and, uh, and our daughter went, and now I want to show you the banquet hall. Here's the dining, the dining hall, they call it, the dining hall at Oxford. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Look familiar? Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. They modeled all those scenes for that Harry Potter thing. They didn't film it there. They ex did an exact replica of that dining hall because it is so amazing. I mean, it's, the paintings on the wall are amazing. They're paintings from every era. I mean, they're paintings from those eras when those guys were those little short deals and the tights and the whole nine yards, the ruffle shirts, the whole deal. And then, then I want to just take you a little bit further. Look at, the, look at how the tables were set. When I read the story and I thought about these pictures, I wanted to share with you, I thought, you know what? These are nothing compared to what God has prepared for you. This is nothing. Nothing. This is the best that man can do in that particular situation. This is not the best. Whatever the enemy tries to sell you as being the best right now in your life is not. Whatever the enemy tries to take away from you and give you as a substitute for the real thing, it's not. 
You have to realize God has got something going on. When I was a kid, my mom used to say this, it's supper time. You remember those days? It's supper time, she would yell out the door. And what do you do when you hear that the first time if you're a child and you're having fun? You ignore it. You did not hear your mother say anything. Your buddy will say to you, hey, your mom's calling. No, she's not. That's not my mom. That's somebody else's mom. I'm pretty sure that's your mom. No, that's not my mom. And then what do they do? They use the dreaded middle name. Philip Wayne. Come home. Here's my theory. Middle names were invented to scare children. There is no other purpose for a middle name. Why do, you, why do you have a middle name? I had this talk with my wife the other night, you know, and she's trying to sell the idea of middle name's valuable. Middle name is worthless. It's only good on cufflinks and when you're in trouble. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Jesus put it like this, but as many, but as many as received him. You see, you have to receive Christ. You have to receive the banquet offer. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, becoming a child of God is not something you're born into. You have to receive Christ into your life. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, to be a Christian means you are born again into the kingdom by your choice to receive the offer that God gives. When you receive him, he gives you the right to enter into his family, to sit at his table and eat at his banquet. The other thing you notice in the story is there are no shortage of excuses in our life. There are always those reluctant party goers. I don't feel like going. You ever said that? I say that to my wife every time we've got something coming up. I go, I don't feel like going. And I really, it's legit, I really don't. I just don't feel like going. When I get there, she can't get me away. I'm having so much fun, I'm loving it. You know, uh, wives, it, you know, if your husband's like that, just keep dragging him. It, it just works, it'll all work out. Or how about this one? Maybe these guys didn't want to go to the banquet because they weren't hungry. You ever eaten before you go out to eat? I do that all the time. Tell us, what are you doing? I'm just having a couple of chips, a little salsa here, you know, you know or if they say on the East Coast, salsa. I'm going to have a little salsa, a little chips, and just going to enjoy this a little bit. Junk foods that all end with the word Eidos. <laughs> Cheetos, Doritos, Toquitos, Tostitos. Eidos food is the best food in the world, isn't it? Zero nutritional value. You eat a Cheeto, you eat a bag of Cheetos, it makes up a wad of food in your stomach that big around the size of a quarter. That's why you can eat 10,000 bags of Cheetos, Eidos, Doritos. Probably these guys in the story ate a bunch of Edos. What were their excuses? The first guy said land. Luke 14, 18. The first said, I have to go. I bought a piece of land. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, his, his excuse is lame. Say it with me. Lame. Lame. Now, let's say it this way. My excuses are? They are. You know it. Deep down, you know it. How about the second guy? The oxen guy. Luke 14, 19, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. His excuse was what? Lame. lame. Remember, we got two, not three, lame excuses going on here because the third guy has a wife. I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Totally legit. <laughs> Can you imagine this scene going on? 
Matthew comes home. I'm going out with the guys, the disciples. We're going to hang out a little bit and, uh, and says, uh, and I'll be back a little bit later. And she says, who are you going with? Oh, Matthew and John and Peter and Jesus is going to be there. It's going to be a great hang time and I can't wait to go. And the wife who's just gotten married looks at him and says, you're not going anywhere. Don't you remember what you had planned over here and you told me you would do? I just put up baseboard in our house. Tammy said, well, I didn't finish it. I almost did. <laughs> but I, it's taken me like seven years to get it up. <laughs> Any guys relate to that? Raise your hand, please. A little moral support here, even if your wife frowns, looks at you, jabs you, pokes you in the side. All right, thank you. Here's the third thing I want you to say. We have to compel people into the kingdom. Can I tell you this? We have one opportunity for a grand opening. We have one. It is a moment where people will do, will go to church, will listen to you, will respond to you when they may not any other time in the year. I want to compel you to take your entire list of friends, invite them to be there, especially those who need God. Come and be a part of this time. We have to compel. You see, the master in the story, was determined to fill his house. We're determined to fill our new house five times over. We really are. That's the goal. In the next five years, to go to five services. That's our goal. We want to launch two new campuses every year, remote campuses, for five years. That's the five-year plan. It's very simple. I was asked the other day, you know, do you have missionaries? I said, we don't, we don't have missionaries. We start churches. So I've never heard anything like that. I, well, okay. I don't, see, I don't see missionaries in what we're doing. I see church planting, and out of that come ministries to people wherever they live. That's what we want to do. If we're going to get there, and if we, look in our, if we look in the faces of our friends and see them without God, what else could we do that would be reasonable except to invite them to be a part of what God is doing? You know, our teams of volunteers are all nervous because if this goal of a 1,000 really materializes, all they converge on us, and in one moment it's going to be a nightmare, best nightmare we could ever have, best problem we can ever have. But it takes you and me and all of us to do that. Notice the, dele- notice, uh, the delegation that's going on here to a servant. He says, you've got something to do. I'm going to say to every one of you, you have something to do. And it's not just for this moment, it's for your lifetime. The dress code. You know what the dress code of heaven is? It's the blood of the lamb. I promise you this, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be people with tags on that say Baptist and Catholic and Lutheran and Methodist and non-denominational and who knows. It's going to be one tag. It's going to be the blood of the lamb. We are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame Him by the word of their testimony, by the blood of their Lamb, and because they did not love their life even unto death. Who attends? Jesus made sure that it, was, uh, it wasn't the pious people that were too busy. It was sinners attend the banquet. People who know we have an issue. I know I got an issue. I know I'm not perfect. How about you? Amen? Luke chapter 14, verse 23. Let me take you back. Now I'm going to read verse 24. 
which I didn't read earlier. Look what it says. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways, the hedges, compel them. Remember, drag them in that my house may be filled. Now look what he says. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. You know what happens? People lose. You can lose a window of opportunity. That's what Jesus is saying here. The people that were on the original guest list, they're not on the list anymore. Not because the master doesn't like them. It's because they, they missed a window of opportunity and sensitivity to the Spirit of God. It, it says in the book of Genesis, in the context of the, of the great flood with Noah, it says, God says, my spirit shall not always strive with all men. You know what it means for the Spirit of God to strive with you? It means that moment in your life when you feel that tug and that pull of the Holy Spirit and you resist him. You say no to the Spirit of God. And what happens is your heart hardens a little bit and you don't hear that voice. You don't feel that movement of the Spirit as much. And we build up a callousness about that to God and we don't respond to God the way and we, we start making excuses and we start saying, yeah, I'll do that one day. And we lose it. It's like the, the, the Spirit of God comes like a dove, gentle and sweet to your heart the first time, maybe as a child, and, and you kind of, you, you don't know what to do with it. Maybe you, you, you say yes, maybe you say no, but, but every time he comes to you and then as you get older, you say no and you slap the dove away. You slap the Spirit of God away. Not now, Spirit of God. After all, I'm, I'm young and I've got my life in front of me and I've, I'm going to college. The Spirit of God comes back and he's trying to get in your heart and you slap the dove away. He comes back again and, and as time goes on, you, you, he's coming but you don't see him and you don't feel him you don't hear him anymore because you've, you've grown hardened to the things of God. But the invitation then goes out to everyone else. And then all you can do is step back and be a critic of what everybody else is doing and how they're following God. It goes out to the healthy and it goes out to the sick as well. It goes out to the blind and those who can see. It goes out to the poor and it goes out to the rich. It goes out to those in fine clothing and it goes out to those in rags. The invitation goes out and says all are welcome. Every race, every color, everyone has been invited. We don't care what color you are and what you look like and what your last name sounds like or anything else. We want you to be a part of the kingdom. And that's the call that, we've, that we just send out for Influence Church. We want to be a church that looks like heaven. People of every race and every ethnicity and every economic level and, and all those things, we want to be a church like that. Amen. We, you know, country club churches are just not exciting to me. I want to be real and love people and love Jesus. You see, we're all invited. The real question is, how do we respond to the invitation that God gives us? What do you say to the Spirit? What are you saying to the Spirit of God right now? What's He saying to you? What's the message in your heart right now? And how will you respond? Let's stand together and pray. Imagine yourself right now as you close your eyes and just imagine that you've received in the mail a beautiful invitation from God. It's on the finest linen paper that could be imagined. It's got all the, all the important information, 
where and when and how and who. It's got a map how to get to heaven and how to be a member of the kingdom. And it's signed in red. It's signed in the blood of Jesus. You look at that invitation and the, and, and the response time is zero. You have to respond right then to God. What do you say? If you don't know Christ, what do you say when he gives you the invitation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved? Do you say yes? Do you say wait? Do you say later? Do you say I've I got to get some stuff right in my life? Can I say this? God loves you already. He's not waiting for you to clean up your act to be acceptable to him. He loves you just the way you are. God can take you where you are and he can take you to amazing places in your spiritual walk. But you have to say yes to that invitation. The response time is zero. What do you say? Yes, Jesus. Not now, Jesus. Try to ignore the voice of the Spirit as he draws you unto himself. Now let's suppose that you've got the invitation. It is to, to be at that banquet and to be a servant for the Master. You're going to get to eat like everybody else, but you're going to have to serve. You're going to have to do something for the master, for the kingdom. Response time is zero. Will you say, yes, I will be a servant. Yes, I will go and I will do what you want me to do. I will put your will above my will. I will put your heart above my heart. I'll put your plans above my plans. I will use my time and my money and my connections and my resources for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the response time is zero. What do you say? What do you say? You have that long to respond. What do you say? If you say yes to God, then say it with sincerity. Say it with all of your heart. Don't pull back. Don't shrink back but follow him with great diligence and great faithfulness. I'm going to ask those of you who know for certain that you're a Christian and you felt that draw of the Spirit of God. You felt him say to you, will you serve? And you had a zero response time. If you said yes to that invitation, we're not looking around, just going to ask you just to slip your hand up. If you said yes in that moment, we just raise your hand up and just keep it up right now for a second. I said yes to Jesus. I want to be a servant. I want, to, I want to live for him. You might hesitate a little bit because you think, what if I don't follow through? God knows your heart. God knows your, right now in this moment, you mean it with all your heart. Thank you. Put your hand down. How about those of you who got that invitation and you, you, you know or you, you suspect that you're not a part of the kingdom, but you prayed and you said, I want to say yes to that invitation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you just slip your hand up right now? Anybody just slip your hand up. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you. As we sing this song together, I want every one of us to sing it with all of our hearts. If you don't sing well, don't worry about it. I don't either. I promise I don't. But when we just release what's in our heart to God and just give Him praise and glory and honor, there's something magical that happens in our heart. Let's sing it unto Him.